Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The reading is from Luke chapter 8, and it's from verse 26, and that's in the Church Bibles on page 1037. 1037. So Luke uh, chapter 8, beginning at verse 26. Jesus restores a demon-possessed man. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus... He cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of, the vo- top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he'd broken his chains, had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people over the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Um, Great to be with you all as well today. My name is Matthew. Uh, I'd love to echo that welcome to newcomers here today. And to add to that welcome, to say, if you would like to come to our newcomer lunch today, you can. We'll be having lunch over in the hall. Uh, New people can come and uh, and join in with us and hear a little bit about uh, what it it involves joining in with church life, how we can help you settle in better. So even if you haven't signed up, but you're new today and you'd like to come, you can just come over to the hall uh, and join us for that lunch, if you would like. Do keep your Bibles open uh, to Luke chapter 8. And uh, uh, thank you for your prayers earlier, Rob. So we'll uh, begin with this question. In our lives, is the idea of evil forces a real thing? 
for us? What's our experience of evil? In our society, generally, the thought of evil forces uh, is quite a sort of low thing. People don't think they're real. We're an advanced, scientifically shaped nation, and we know how everything works. Uh, God might just about be tolerated in public discourse, but there's almost no talk of evil powers, is there? If you ask someone on the street, do you believe in God? You'll get quite a few people who say they do. But ask about the devil, and you'll get very few people. It's a low sort of thing in in our society, but it's not non-existent. There is some engagement with evil forces. That always kind of bubbles away. And it wouldn't surprise me if there are people here who have uh, been involved with that sort of thing in the past, or many of us will know someone who is involved. I'm, um, I'm really not an expert on any of this. I speak from a place of very basic knowledge. But personally, I've, I've had this sense of hearing about sort of evil stuff in society uh, a lot more in the last few years. And, and I've done some research, and I found that is the case. On, um, on the internet, there's been this surge of interest in witchcraft. On TikTok, for example, the hashtag witchtok has billions of views. Uh, People have been using Zoom now to uh, perform rituals together. Uh, You can hire the services of a witch to perform magic on your behalf online as well. And so, as well as the, the online, the physical experience is therefore gaining in popularity. Aspects of the occult like Ouija boards are coming back in. Equinox ceremonies are very popular. Um, And there's clearly different levels of seriousness with which people are engaging with all of this. Um, Some find it online as something sort of fun to watch, or people like uh, like it as a way to stand out with the fashion that goes with it. Though that, I've discovered, has provoked a sort of a backlash from the uh, more long-standing community who are, and I quote, troubled by the commodification of witchcraft. But there is actually some really serious stuff there too. There are spiritualist churches. There's one apparently down the road in Broom Hill. Uh, There are gatherings of witches meeting to cast curses or or to speak to the dead. uh, To call on evil forces to do things. There are even people who meet to worship the devil. And in the last two years, I've heard a couple of stories of things where, uh, which sort of connect with us a bit. People who are not willing to touch a Bible, for example, because uh, they, f- they say it will burn them due to their own spiritual involvement. Or, or similarly, people who are not willing to come into a church building for the same reasons. So look, though um, many of us will think very little of evil powers... Clearly, there is some engagement in our society, and each of us will have contact with that at some points in our lives, I'm sure. Well, today's passage in Luke chapter 8 has forces of evil powerfully on display, and so we've got to consider them. What should we believe about them? 
But it won't just be pursuing this through our own fascination. This story shows us how Jesus interacts with evil forces. And it's going to teach us some important things about how he relates to all evil. Not just the extraordinary stuff, but the everyday things, the temptations that we face, and the guilt and the shame which attack us. And we'll see Jesus' expulsive power over all of those things. So far in Luke chapter 8, Jesus has been preaching about the kingdom of God. He's called for careful listening. And then he's taken his disciples into three quite intense situations where he shows the power and authority of his words. This is the second one. Last week it was the storm. And this week it's this demon-possessed man And we're going to see that while evil forces still rage, we can trust in Jesus who is more powerful by far. We have two points for today, one about the evil forces and one about Jesus. And the first one is this, evil forces are powerful and destructive. Evil forces are powerful and destructive reading the first half of the story from verse 26. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me? Jesus, son of the most high God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. Coming right after the storm, this is quite a series of events, isn't it? They, they've had that, and then they step ashore, and immediately this terrifying man comes to meet them. And he is terrifying, isn't he? The sort of man you would tell your kids never to go anywhere near. Look at the details. He's demon-possessed, verse 27. He's also naked. He's also not living in a house, but among the tombs. Then in verse 29, we're told that people had tried to chain him hand and foot and and keep him under guard, but he was so strong, he could not be controlled. This is the stuff of nightmares. He's monstrous. And the reason for all this, he's possessed by a legion of demons. That could be 5,000. What should we make of all this? Do we believe in demons and evil forces? The Bible speaks of them quite matter-of-factly. So I think we probably should, but we'll have lots of questions 
I imagine. First, what are demons? Well, I think demons are evil spirits. They are powerful and destructive. They are servants of the devil. Who then is the devil? Well, the Bible describes the devil as the great enemy of God, a rebellious angel, now with his own armies of spirits and evil forces. And it's important for us to know that the devil is a created being. Only God is uncreated. So he was created by God. And for reasons uh, good to God, the devil is left free to wage war for a time and within the limits that God allows. He's a wild dog, but on a leash. What then is demon possession? Well, demons and spirits, they seem able to take control of people. To, you know, the, the sense of that person is lost and it's the evil spirit then who is speaking and acting within that body. In the Bible, demon possession seems to occur more commonly around the time of Jesus. I've heard it suggested that the devil sent more then at that time because it was the height of the battle when Jesus was, was coming into this world and the kingdom was advancing. So also in this country, demon possession doesn't seem very common, but I understand it happens in other parts of the world, perhaps more, where where maybe people are more engaged with spiritual things or in places where the kingdom is advancing. The devil chooses where he wants to fight the battle like this, but in other places he fights in other ways. So then what will be our experience of evil forces? Demon possession? Maybe, maybe we'll see it, though Christians, you must know, you will be protected by the Holy Spirit within you. But we might still see some of this evil stuff happening around us where satanic practices are going on, the occult. Uh, we might see the harm done by that and people, damaged people. But I think what's really important for us to know as well is that we'll see another more widespread, universal and subtle work of the devil too. You know, possession is occasional and obvious and terrifying, but the devil also works in subtle ways against us all. It's temptation to sin and then guilt and shame. You see, the devil, he's the tempter. He's the deceiver. As with Adam and Eve, he, uh, he wants us to go against God, so he provides us with opportunities and he lies to us so that we might think that they're a good thing to do. And the reality is we all succumb because he's too powerful for us. And then he takes on the role of the accuser. He keeps reminding us of the things that we've done and he makes us feel guilty and ashamed and just rubbish and so, in a sense, he has this possession over us. We can't get free of him. You see, there's this subtle and universal strategy of the devil. But I think it mirrors 
that more obvious and, and attacks like demon possession. So if you see in this story how the demons operate, what are they doing? And isn't it the same with temptation and guilt and shame? Look, the demons, they are so powerful. They're too much for this man. Who knows how this came about? Who knows how they took control? But they have it now. They've taken over and they won't let go. They're so powerful. But they are so destructive as well. Later on with the pigs, they just destroy them. That shows their heart for destruction. But it's the same with this man. They are breaking his life down bit by bit, making him naked and wild. He's losing his humanity. And he's cut off from other people. We wonder what's happened to his family, his friends. He's now living amongst the dead. He's basically become the living dead. It's a nasty but clear picture of what the devil wants to do in us all. Temptation comes and it's too powerful for us. How many times have we said, I'll resist, I'll change, but we fall again and again. And it's not innocuous. Sin is destroying our lives. It leads to shame. We feel like a terrible human being. And it, and it leads to the breakdown of our relationships. There's obvious examples, aren't there? Someone's drinking leads to their life falling apart. Someone's adultery causes the loss of their family. Or the other things, you know, the, the growing bitterness which turns someone against everyone around them. Or someone's shame, meaning that they've no confidence to step out in life and build relationships. The devil hates to see flourishing human beings. He wants to stop it and he'll do it one way or another. You see, evil forces are powerful and destructive. And I think this means we need an appropriate fear of them. At the level of those uh, more obvious evil forces and satanic things, please know they are not good. Do not get involved. We could expose ourselves to things that are too powerful for us. Some here might have connections. This is not nothing. Do not be blasé about it. But at that level of sin and temptation and shame and guilt, similarly, we must know that these are real attacks of the devil. And they will be harmful in our lives. Don't mess around with sin. If you're dabbling and toying with sin, don't go there. If you're in a place of sin and you know you shouldn't be, come out. And look, you can. You can come out because you can come to Jesus. So I want us to think next about him and the rescue he brings from evil forces. So secondly, and this is the good news, Jesus is more powerful and restorative. Jesus is more powerful 
and restorative. Picking up the story, verse 32. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. Jesus is the main character in the story. Uh, in this story, in every story, it's all always about Jesus. So, so having watched him in that storm, we've been amazed Let's watch him now, imagining we were there. Look how calm he is. Nothing scares him. You know, in this story, there's tensions and there's fears and there's emotions running high. But he stands authoritatively in the middle of it all. And people are begging him to do things. The, be- the demons are begging not to be tortured, begging not to be sent to the abyss, begging to go into the pigs. And then the people come to him and they're begging him to leave. And at the end, the man is begging to come with him. Jesus is the one with power and authority. And his power is expressed by his words, he gives instructions. He gives permission, and no one challenges what he says. Think of your your favorite superhero film, sci-fi film. Uh, The forces of good against the forces of evil. That's always the the basic storyline, isn't it? The hero against the villain. And the appeal of those films is the tension Who will win? Two equal but opposite forces clash and we're not sure of the outcome. We want the good guy to win, but will he? For a while it looks like he's down, but then somehow he comes back and he wins and we rejoice. Well, here we've got some terrifying forces of evil. 5,000 powerful and destructive demons against one man, Jesus. Is that even a fair fight? Well, it's an unequal battle for sure, but the other way around. There's no question of who wins. There's not even a fight. The demons come cowering at his feet. And with a calm word, he sends them away and the man is restored. And maybe, like after the calming of the storm, we should ask again, who is this man? But we don't need to, actually, because the answer's already been given by the demons themselves. Verse 28, he's the son of the Most High God. When it comes to status and authority and power 
these demons know that Jesus is infinitely above them. They have no choice but to obey. They can only operate under his control. And this is a miniature of the wider point that the devil, their Lord, is just a wild dog on a leash. He's under the restriction of someone far more powerful. But where the devil and his demons use their power to destroy, Jesus uses his power to restore. Look at the man, verse 35. He's a new man with his humanity restored. He's sitting calmly where before they could never pin him down. And he's dressed where before he was naked. And he's in his right mind. He's got his own mind back. Jesus restored him. Jesus came so that humans might flourish. Now, before we move to responses, let me just talk about something else just for a little bit. Jesus is uh, more powerful and restorative, but given that, what happens in the rest of the gospel is a little bit surprising. Jesus could have, think about it, Jesus could have, with a word, destroyed all demons and the devil whenever he wanted to. Think about it, he could have done that, couldn't he? But he didn't. Instead, just in little bits, at little times, he did this sort of thing, and then he retreated, gets in the boat and goes off. And he did face the devil in his own temptation, but he didn't come out all guns blazing, he just took it, attack after attack, and resisted. And ultimately, he let it all go on so far as to be crucified. The Son of God, naked on the cross, tortured, and then he himself placed dead among the tombs. It really looked like the devil had won. So what's going on? Well, friends, we know this, don't we? We know this. The cross was actually how Jesus was going to defeat the devil. And save us. It was actually his greatest moment of power and restoration. You see, we are caught up by the devil. We were under his power as sinners, as guilty people, due condemnation. And it took the cross to set us free. It was our ransom price. And Jesus paid it. Because he wanted to rescue us from the hands of the evil one and to restore our full humanity. To make us the people our sin and our guilt and our shame was keeping us from being. It's the power of the cross which means we can now say no to sin. When the devil tempts us, when he comes to us and he lies, he says... He says to us, you, you, you should sin. And we say, no. You've been defeated. And I've been saved by someone far stronger. And when he throws our guilt and our shame at us, saying, you're a sinner. 
You're guilty before God. You're a disgrace before others. We know how bad you are. We reply again, no. Jesus took my guilt and my shame. He loves me. He accepts me. I'm a new human being now and I will not listen to you. Because of the cross, we are free. Well, there are two responses in this passage. One from the people who are scared of Jesus and want nothing to do with him. The other from the man who is desperate to go with him, but rather gets sent out to proclaim his testimony. Who will we be? I can understand the first one. I see it happen. We always have non-Christians here. I love that you're here. But the thought of Jesus can be unsettling. You're finding out about Christianity. You're seeing uh, uh, Jesus. You're seeing that he's not just some good guy. He's not just a philosopher or a teacher. He's presented as the one with power over nature and authority and all evil forces. The claim is he's the son of God. And maybe you just think, oh, it's all too much. I don't want anything to do with this. It's just mad. And I understand why people conclude that. But the other option is possible too. Don't dismiss it. When we accept that Jesus is the Son of God, it opens up whole new possibilities to us. We can come to Him and find rescue from all evil. Evil forces now. If that's you, if you've been dabbling, if you're caught up in that, you can be rescued by Jesus. From our sin and our shame and our guilt, if it feels too much for you now, There's a way out with Jesus. And Christians, isn't this true? Isn't this wonderful? We've been talking about our verse for the year this year. To live is Christ. Is there anyone better we could live for? And so, don't we also hear this final command Jesus gave to the man? Return home. And tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. If we know our rescue, shouldn't we also be eager to obey that command of Jesus and tell everyone about it? With no fear of the devil now and rejoicing in our Savior we can proclaim that Jesus is the one who has power to save. May God give us the faith to do so. Amen.